Hello, uh, and welcome to our podcast. This is Michael, Max, and Marcus. We just finished watching Mohamed Razalov's There Is No Evil, um, and we're here to talk about it. Uh, how did everyone like the film? Um, I, I certainly enjoyed it. I appreciated it. It was definitely a bit subversive. I, I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen throughout the film, because there's a very unconventional nature to the way the film was uh, shot and actually structured and personally it really kept me on my toes i felt like there's a lot of unanswered questions throughout the film so i was pretty engaged oh yeah as was i i didn't know going in that the film was going to be uh separated into four parts um so that was a surprise but if i it was a it was a it was a good surprise i enjoyed it i think uh the way that the story progressed in each of the four um separate films was interesting but they he all he they were all connected in in some way so which i thought was good yeah i uh, i enjoyed the film as well i thought um breaking it up into four kind of smaller films was it kept me very interested throughout the film i was never really bored with any one of the stories or felt there was ever too much downtime and it was definitely intriguing yeah uh which was your favorite of the four? Mm, that's a good question. I would have to say personally, my favorite would have to be the second, just because I think it was the most engaging, you know, from start to finish. I think the the other three, they were a bit um I, I was a bit unsure as to what direction they were gonna go while they were happening, whereas two from beginning to end felt very conclusive and it, like it was directed in a clear way. So that was personally my favorite. I uh, I also enjoyed the second one the best. Um, I don't know if it was just the the character or it just seemed more like the the yeah the character or the actor playing the character. It just seemed I don't know more exciting and I don't know just better to me. More- I don't know. I, I really can't describe it. It's like one of those things. For me, I I, high stakes really, I really enjoyed Sorry, the. I really enjoyed the third film, Birthday. Um, I thought okay. the twist and turns and like just kind of like there's two battling scenarios of he's come home to celebrate her birthday and like there's this big deal like celebration and also them dealing with this great loss to the family. Like they kind of, they contradict each other and just uh, the relationship in like between Javad and Nana. I thought was it was really enjoyable to watch go through and deal with the trauma that just happened. Yeah. So I actually wanted to know what you guys thought about the first act in particular, because like I believe um, Michael was talking about before me, I wasn't initially aware of the structure of the film before getting into it. And I really went in with very little knowledge beforehand. So I, the first act was very, very surprising to me. And I want to know how you guys reacted to it and how you think it set up the rest of the film. Uh, are you referring mostly to the to like the very end, like with the big twist? Well, I, I don't know how, again, I don't know how um, aware you were of where the film's direction was going. But for me, you know, generally the first act is where you set up the rest of the film. So I was yeah. constantly on my toes trying to figure out what was happening. You know, and I think mm-hmm. also the first film to me feels like, or 
it feels like a statement. Whereas the rest of the the uh, the other three acts of the film feel like they're answering or responding to that statement. The mm-hmm. fir- uh, I feel like the first section really embodies the spirit of the film in, in a very concise way. Yeah. I feel I feel like it definitely sets a tone for the stories that follow just like a basic outlining or like an underlying kind of subject that the director's focusing on. Yeah, I think it does a good job of introducing or establishing um, how the movie is going to go or establishing the main like premise or themes in the movie. Um, I thought it was, I don't know. I thought it was the least interesting of the parts, but that's because I don't really, like when I watch other movies, like I don't like the beginning. I'd much rather watch just watch the second half of a movie than just watch the first. Just because I got, I kind of get bored when they're describing or introducing things. But I don't know. That's just me. I have a really short attention span. I I feel that especially especially with like a lot of the films we've watched, you're just kind of like waiting for like that main thing to happen. Like okay, like why are they telling this story? Like what is what is the point? And then you get to like these big twists or these big reveals. Yeah. But that's what I thought was really, um, I don't know, just strange got me thinking about the first act because I feel like it had that same characteristic where it was world building. It was doing a lot of just exposition, showing this man with his family for a good majority of the time. But at the same time, by doing that, by showing this everyday normal person, it was affirming the point of there is uh, of this sort of moral gray of the sort of no person is necessarily evil yeah yeah no that that, that brings me to the uh to the title what do you guys think of the title do you think it was uh descriptive or do you think it was good for this for this film I think it could. I mean, I don't mind it. I don't think it's the worst. I think it's very accurate. I just think it could be a little more subtle. But again, this is this is the foreign title for the film, not the title in the main language. So that might be different. Who knows? Might yeah, translate true. differently. I think it I've, definitely uh, it definitely helps ahead, speak. Sorry, um, you're it, good. Go ahead. <laughs> It definitely helps speak to just like the underlying tone of the film or just helps you helps put you in the mindset or just like that image of how to kind of feel how you're supposed to feel about all these characters or how you're supposed to interpret their decisions or what they've had to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Um, uh, I've uh, what Max was saying about the uh, the translated title, whereas uh, versus the like the title in the original language um, of the films that we've watched previously, I've gone back after we watched them and after we talked about them and looked at the, some of the reviews that other people had, like just regular people. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, I've, I saw it for multiple films that uh, just like regular people, not even film critics said that um, the original title of the film was far better than the translated title. Like it did a, a lot better job of i don't know they just liked it better which i thought was interesting because obviously i don't speak persian um so i i I can't know what that means but or know the difference sorry that was rambling (laughs) no but i think that's important i think that's 
I mean, again, I guess we, we can never really know, but I think there is something that gets lost in translation. And I wonder that about a lot of the film, you know, how much within their dialogue is subtle, but comes out very, um, obviously, since we're watching, a, since we're watching uh, what's it, subtitles instead of hearing what they're actually saying. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are foreign people who don't speak English have to feel that way about watching English films because English in itself is so complicated and so a lot based on like where you live that completely uh, determines your 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 particular vernacular um, that it must be extremely confusing for someone to watch a film in English and have to read English subtitles. Kinda, kind of just like focusing on dialogue in the film. Um, there's lots of moments that kind of speak to military service without necessarily like directly talking about it, like just in the way that the characters interact and like some of their speech um, just kind of speak to like the involuntariness of it and like, like what choice do you have? Uh, yeah. Well, I think it's mandatory right yeah yeah it seems like it's required um in order to get a driver's license a passport to go to university to leave the country yeah. like yeah. that's a good thing to unpack the way they portray the way the film portrays military service you know and i think honestly i mean maybe it's biased personal whatever but i just don't think it shines it in a very good light i mean especially in the second um the second act, the second chapter, whatever you want to call it, we see uh, essentially a deserter. And a lot of it comes from the execution, but the execution is part of his military service. And yeah. again, this reminds me very, uh, a very similar way to the warden, where it's this grand, this grand authority that decides who gets executed, etc. And we just have to witness the perspective of a singular person trying to reconcile that, you know? Yeah. So I was wondering how you would a compare those person. films. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Rep- oh, it's fine. Uh, I was just wondering how you guys would compare uh, this representation to the warden, how they dealt with capital punishment and military service, and just what's um, it like to obey that authority? Yeah, I definitely think that as an overall tone, that this movie was. I don't know if the word is if the good word for it is is darker, like this more like. Yeah, like, um, yeah, I guess that's a good word. Like their view and their take on capital punishment and military service sheds, puts it, sheds a bad light on it, a far worse light on it than um, the warden, at least in my eyes. Like uh, for the warden, like he had certain, he had certain problems and certain demons that were going on in his life. But uh, I don't know, for me, the, the problems and like the, the hardships for the people in this film uh, were, were, were just far worse. It seems like there is some level of normalcy to it, though. Uh, the service and even the executions and the capital punishment aspect of it. With the first character in the first film, uh, I believe his name's Heshmat. Um, I mean, we see him go about his day like every other day and then at at night, like in the middle of the night, 3, 4 a.m., he has to go and push the button and execute soldier or execute prisoners. 
Yeah. And then also in birth birthday we see Javad and I mean he the only reason he's able to go see Nana for three days on her birthday is because he committed an execution. Like he was like he talks he also talks to Nana's mother at one point and he's like, Well, what choice do I have? Like she asked him, Have they ever asked you to do something that you don't want to do? He's like, well, what choice do I have? Like, this is this is what you do. This is how I get to where I want to be. This is how I, I get my family. And I mean, he's kind of just accepted it. And then yeah. even later in the film, Nana asks him, like, I've been thinking about how many three-day vacations you've had. Like, that's a, that's a serious statement. Like, to him, like, that's what he had to do in order to go to go get normalcy, to go socialize, to go see family or friends. And I mean, like to her, like it, she really, she's having to put it in perspective. Like, like in order for him to see me, like he's taken the lives of a lot of people. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, he had to earn, he had to earn his, uh, his leave. Like exactly. you do this. Yeah. And you get, to, yeah, you, yeah. you're paid in, in, in leave. And it, that, I feel like that definitely establishes like some normalcy to it. Like it's just like everyone, especially the fact that it's mandatory for all males, like everyone has to do it. And so there's kind of this, this general acceptance of the, the brutality or like the grotesqueness of capital punishment. Yeah, it's definitely viewed as much more of a normal thing. Um, and I guess in Iranian culture than it is for us, like uh, in the American military, this is not even a, uh, this is definitely not a thing. Um, the mandatory, uh, the obligatory uh, execution duty or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, however you'd like to describe it. Um, well, I think what's interesting is how they show the consequences as well. They don't just build this authority. And well, they do in some sense. They also show, and especially in Act 4, what this can lead to. Because the way... I'm sure you guys both picked up on the way Act 4 connects to Act 2. Um, But the fact that this man, through fleeing, through doing what he thought was moral, trying to be a good man, he had had profound consequences for his his daughter, for his family, for his whole life by defying this order. And I think, well, it was pretty subtle. The fourth act was really laying this point down and just let and showing us the real consequences this can have beyond just beyond all these grand ideas of fleeing from the authorities, etc. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just kind of the, the point of control that the whole film makes just kind of was, I feel like maybe I don't know much about Iranian culture or anything like that, but, it seems from the films we've watched, like it's a very controlling and like authoritarian like country. Like there's not as much freedom within the citizens and you don't necessarily, I don't know. But yeah, I've definitely noticed that theme across all the films that we watched. Mm-hmm. I oh. feel like with the focus on military service in all these short films, um, it really it's like a blatant example of like, you're going to follow the rules. Like you're going to do as we say. Yeah. And I think that was definitely um, the, 
the, uh, the director's uh, idea with this film. He wanted to show um, how strict and how overbearing um, the Iranian government is and the policies in Iran um, that apply to military service and um, obligatory executions and all that, st- that stuff. Um, so I think he did a, a good job because he, he essentially achieved what he was trying to do. Do you think that's the statement the director is trying to make by having, um, I can't remember the, the character, but who the character from Act 2 and 4, but in the end of Act 4, he, uh, he says that if he had the chance to go over and do it again, he would execute the person. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, well, that would just, it would change his entire life. It would make his entire life at least... Not the decision, not not like for him in his mind, but like it would make his entire life easier, right? He would be accepted, he'd be understood, all the all the uh, the difficult things that happened to him and his family down the road may not have happened. But I think that's a good uh, a good explanation and a good show uh, a good show of the uh, the power that the government has over your life. Another another moment that really highlights um, kind of just the fear that the young men have, like of like if I don't serve or if I don't follow and obey orders, um, is when they're in the bunk room and they're all discussing. First of all, there's there's the man who did deny service or did deny um, executing someone and was instead given four more years of service. You know, yeah, and then, um, and then even when, even when he's before, right before he escapes, and he takes the gun from the other guard, um, the guard, like the guard, is terrified, not because he thinks that he's going to die at the hands of this other guy's escape, but because he knows what this man's decision is going to do to his life. Like he's like yeah. like they're going he, to kill he knows the repercussions. Yeah. yeah, he's like like they're going to execute you. Like you know, like if you if you do this, if you keep going, like if you, like they're going to kill you. Your life is over as you know it right here. And I mean, he's just the other guard is just terrified. Like he can't believe that he'd risk this. That like, uh. yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's also, really oh, go ahead. Go. Uh, I think it's just really interesting, the other soldiers' attitudes. I mean, I think that's another way of, or another more direct way of, of commenting on the situation in Iran, because most of the soldiers within the the protagonist regiment or whatever, they're also, they're, they're not happy to be there. Like, for I remember they're talking with our protagonist about being killers, and he says, I'm not a natural-born killer. And one of them responds back, neither are we. And I think just through dialogue, the director was able to convey so many of these ideas just as so many of these soldiers are clearly just not happy with what they're doing and only doing it through conformity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it also shows in that scene, it also shows the air of, of almost like complacency or acceptance that all these, that all these guys have. They're like, this is going to happen whether we like it or not, whether we're natural born killers or not. I believe, like, I think it was something, they said something like laws are laws or something to that effect is 
Like, I we actually, don't have a choice. Um, so we have to do this. I actually have the quote written down, or I, it may be similar to, um, and it's, uh, this is Iran. There is no law here, only money and nepotism. Yeah. No, was, yeah. Uh, I thought that was that was really interesting, especially like, considering like some of them feel helplessness or hopelessness in the situation. Like, like you said, like they just conform and follow the rules because they don't have a way out. But other people sometimes do have a chance. Like we saw our protagonist um, was trying to get his brother, who held some senior position, to get him transferred or relieve him from his duty. Well, that's a nepotism right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What did you guys think of uh, Puya's decision in the in the second act? I guess if you want to call it that. Did you do you see it coming? Uh, do you agree with it? Like overall, it it shocked me. Oh, sin. I was super surprised when he took up the gun. I mean, there had been little building up to that point to to really establish the fact that he would actually rebel. I mean, he was talking about making plans. I think what surprised me actually was at the very end when he was with his girlfriend in the car, they were talking about this like it had been this pre-planned thing. And it must have if she came to pick him up. So Yeah. Yeah, she 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 knew what was happening and she was she was proud of him. But like they had talked about it in length previously, which I thought was interesting. So honestly, that I did not see that coming. It really surprised me. Yeah. And honestly, if I were him, I don't know if I'd be able to make the same decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, he seems like he seems like such like such this soft character, kind of like very small, and it's like physically, he's a small person. But I mean, he just I don't know, he doesn't seem like he's got it in him to really, let, first of all, like, execute someone, let alone completely abandon his service. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that, knowing knowing the repercussions that were coming down the road. But also, I don't know if I could kill somebody, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, if the four years in the service was still an option, I'd choose that. Not have to kill anyone and not be... Uh, exors or whatever looked down upon by your peers and your society. Um, so one thing I noticed uh, following that scene, so when after he, after Puya takes the gun into the office and then handcuff has one of the soldiers, a fellow soldier handcuff the officer in the tie and then put him in the closet put him in the, the bookshelf and then unlock the door when he, when he escapes um, into the, into the alley. Um, uh, the scene gets a lot darker and the light gets a lot darker. Um, but like in that scene, he looks genuinely scared. Like, I don't know. He looked almost, he looked confident up until that point. But as soon as he got outside, I don't know, in, in my mind, he like realized the repercussions and realized well, what he had actually just done. And he looked genuinely scared um, of what he was going to, or what he was leaving. I don't know if you guys noticed. Well, that. On, on the team, of, on the term of like actual chalk composition and everything, I I seem to notice in the first 
two acts specifically the camera was very there were a lot of long shots and this is generally throughout the, the film there were a lot of long takes the editing was very very smooth there wasn't really a lot of noticeable editing yeah. um i mean scenes themselves were quite long in the first two acts though i noticed that the camera was really close it was quite intimate especially in the car scene in the first um first act for quite a bit but then really in the third and fourth act the camera actually opened up i thought colors got brighter and the cinematography changed a little bit to highlight more of the nature and move beyond the characters yeah i definitely noticed that like the first two were focused more on close-ups and then like more complex i guess long takes but then it slowly drew out like the like it was almost like for the third and fourth the director decided that you as the audience were going to see the bigger picture as opposed to just this like intimate storyline. And I thought that was a really, really interesting and uh, really interesting decision. Um, but I think it, it went well. well, it played well. In terms of music, I, I don't know how much y'all noticed, but I felt it was pretty minimalist. There was a little bit of ambient noise every now and then, but other than the real music accompanying the uh, escape scene, I thought the uh, score was pretty un- unnoticeable or even just not there. Yeah, yeah. When, the, the, um, the music with the escape scene was, was honestly, it was like interesting. It was like, I don't know, to me, it was like almost adverse to anything that had happened before. Like it was loud, it was thumping, it was like pulsing, but it also seemed almost ominous, like something you would hear in a thriller, like when someone was like running around in the dark and they're you as the audience know they're about to die, but they don't know. Like it was similar music to me for that, but he obviously he didn't die. A lot of um a lot of the songs that we do hear in the film, um it's not necessarily like ex- like it's, it's not necessarily part of the score, but it's involved like within the film itself. Like the characters are aware and either singing along and dancing with it. Yeah. And then also um Unlike some songs and music that we do here in the films, these ones are, they do have subtitles and we're able to read the words because I think, I think they are important. I think the lyrics of the song um, play, uh, are, they're, they're, they, that song was chosen for a reason in that part of the song in particular. Um, yeah. I feel like if, if I remember correctly uh, in the second act, when, he's dancing with his girlfriend in the car. Uh, the music is, it's not Iranian. It's, it's foreign. I believe it's Spanish. Like yeah. Italian. Yeah. Italian. Yeah. yeah. I recognize the song and they were, you could see him singing along mm-hmm. as well as celebrating dancing. and they plan, like they plan on leaving Iran and they're kind of, they're embracing. They have, they also have a dog. I noticed they had a dog in the backseat. Like they're kind of embracing like this more free lifestyle, like this, yeah, it's this new kind of culture that they want to go experience, and where there's freedom, and and I'm not sure, just yeah, yeah. Speaking of freedom, the very end of that, right? The the second scene of the second movie, the short, the second short story, ends with them driving, and then eventually you see this. They get up onto a hill, so you can see like the entire city. Um, and then they start driving again and it goes black. And then when it comes back from black, it's a skyline and mountains, which is usually used to signify freedom 
and like they're like yeah they're like no boundaries and all that stuff so i thought that was interesting even though it went with uh, although it was technically the start of the third short film it also applied to the second one which i thought was 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 really interesting and good uh it was a a very nice inclusion um one of uh one of my favorite parts of the film uh was that i mean i know i mentioned it at the beginning of the recording but uh in birthday just the third the third act the relationship between javad and nana i i really enjoyed i i thought it was really beautiful um the way it begins just kind of you can tell like they're close and they're very very connected um mm -hmm. there's some very intimate moments that are captured uh when she's placing the seeds on his forehead and face and then also feeding them to him they're very <clears throat> excuse me they're very they're very close they're very intimate there and then to watch her kind of distance herself throughout the film and struggle with like this really deep love that she has for Javad and knowing that she'll never be able to look at him the same and never like be able to feel that love without knowing that he hurt someone that someone else that she also cared about i thought yeah. like her torment was just really beautifully captured yeah without without like i, I feel like if uh, without like actually showing us or actually telling us in words like her body language would have been enough to have shown that she was aware of what happened and i thought that was interesting a really and a really cool feature like, like exactly what you said right you could see that she was physically and emotionally distancing herself and you could see it in her, in her specific body language and like there's separate different things you do like you you don't fully open up to a person or you keep your arm between some between you and them as opposed to opening them up different body cues and body language that signify even the um, even the trust. proposal like you see her hesitation in her hand to let him yep. put the ring on like she's she's like she still has all these feelings she still has all this love for him but like she's so broken like he what his actions have just even unknowingly like have just hurt her so deeply that like she won't be able to see him the same yeah but she still tries, like she still accepts the ring. And then in the morning, she, she comes to realize that like, I can't, I can't live the rest of my life like this. Yeah, she's trying to, to focus on uh, the love that she feels or that she felt previously. And she mm -hmm. tried to block out all the other feelings and all the other knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you should, as you can see, um, it's not, it's not enough. It doesn't work out. So she eventually gives in. You, um... You talked about her body language and how sometimes, like, the dialogue, like, wasn't even necessary to know how she was feeling. Um, when Javad, when she finds Javad in the forest near the water after he's tried to drown himself, um, uh -huh. she, he, he tells her, like, I, I was the one who killed him. Like, I pulled the chair. I, ex I executed uh, Kevan. And we see the camera cuts to Nana, like, aggressively gripping a rock in the mud 
like do mm-hmm. you think like she she could pick this up and just start like attacking him like she's filled with that much anger and rage and then yeah. she she sees how javad is affected by learning what he's done like the just how how it not only is it like is she hurt by it but like it's broken him too and yeah. she sees but this you- and she realizes she can't blame him and she releases the rock and is able to take care of Shavad. Like she's able to comfort him in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as I remember, he doesn't actually say that, right? He doesn't, he doesn't express himself as being a broken. She can just see it. Right? That's what you're saying, right? Um, what was that? He doesn't verbally express the self, the fact that he's struggling and broken, right? He, he she can just see it in his, in his I eyes mean, and in his body language. I mean, I, yeah, I, he. She finds him soaking wet, shaking against a tree in the middle of the forest, like bloodshot eyes. I mean, he yeah. is he is destroyed visibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting how. The first two chapters feel like they don't touch on emotion much, and rather ethics. And then the last two really touch on emotion. Yeah, yeah I think that was it, the main. Go ahead. It's just it's just a, a much more like personal connection in the last two, rather than just like a duty or like a service to your country. Yeah, I think it really worked for me in the third act, but maybe not as much as the fourth. Yeah, I think in the first two, it was focusing on a single person, and their bat and their the conf- the conflict in them and their their emotions, and then in the second one, uh, you can see with Javad and Nana, and then with I don't I don't remember the the, the names of the people in the, in the fourth act, but uh, it was multiple people, right? It was you could see how it was affecting multiple people as opposed to just one. Which I think brings out the more the more emotional uh, side of or uh, storyline. I guess. Yeah, right? just it's easier. Like... It's easier for you to see multiple people ex- expressing emotions with each other as opposed to one person, right? It would be kind of crazy if they just started talking to themselves to explain their emotional state. You really have to see it in their eyes and their body language. So it's a lot easier to see between people as opposed to just one. Was there any, uh, was there any like major pieces of symbolism that you guys noticed that kind of stood out to you or any moments that like unspoken moments that you think there was more there? Um, I don't know if this really fits what you're asking, but, uh, <laughs> the, the long take for, uh, when, uh, Poya in the second act, when Poya got outside and then, uh, was in the dark and then he was hiding. And then after he, after he hides behind, I believe it's a mail, a, a newspaper box. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He starts to run, but, uh, starting when starting when he first comes out and can see the people that he's going to hide from and then he ducks behind it's a it's a long take from there on until he like gets under the bridge until uh to to see his girlfriend and to see the girl in the car 
It's a long tape and it and it's filmed with a handheld camera. Um, and in the handheld camera, you can see it shake uh, and you can see it slow down and you can see it like when he slows down and you can see when he yeah. when he starts to run, you can see like, it speed up and start to shake. Like you're right and there I, with him and stuff. Yeah. And in my mind, that was like, I don't know, it, it the camera was reflecting Poya and his emotions and emotional state and his how jacked up he was, like how like frazzled he was, right? The camera isn't steady because he's not steady. And then when he starts to run, it's bouncing up and down and it seems harried and, and, and hurrying and frightened um, because it's showing him. And I, I just thought that the camera, I don't know, the, the choice to use a handheld camera and to have it not be steady um, really amplifies the emotions of the scene. And to me, they it showed, I don't know, it just reflected Poya back to us using, just using the camera angles. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, but obviously there's no spoken things there. So that was, that was a unspoken thing I, saw, I remind, remember I saw that I thought was very interesting. What about you? Um, um, I think it's... Oh, no. Go, 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 go. You go. <laughs> oh, I was going to say I literally didn't have one. You should go. <laughs> um, there was... Uh, there's kind of... There's there's two moments in, in the third act where uh, Javad is... It's it's at the very beginning, and he he's not quite at the house, and he stops, and he bathes himself in in like this pond type thing and at first i thought like oh he's just like he's a soldier like he was on duty he's cleaning himself and then he's gonna go like see whoever he's gonna see like he's just making himself presentable and then he after learning that it's uh kevon that he has killed or that he had executed um that it was the person that was so close to the family um he runs back to the pond and he like he forces his head under the water and it, it looks like he's trying to drown himself but the his return to the pond kind of like symbolized like this attempt to cleanse himself of of what he's yeah, done yeah. especially with like the water like and like with him having gone before he went there like he knew in order to get these three days off like he needed to commit an execution and like i feel like this isn't the first time he stopped at that pond to kind of wash himself, himself of these sins or whatever. Like, like it was a routine. Yeah, like it's like it's like it was like this cleansing thing for him to like, like okay, like I'm not this, I'm not this executioner, I'm not like that person. Like just wash myself of my sins and I'm clean again. And then when he finds out he's killed like this person, he goes back and he tries to do it again. It's a much more aggressive attempt. Like he's, he's forcing his head under the water and he's holding it there. And like there's struggle. And then he pulls it out and you can see like, there's still no peace within him. Like he wasn't able, the water wasn't able to wash him of like all of the bad he's done, I guess. Yeah. You could see in that scene that he was trying, he was visibly trying to, to cleanse himself of something far deeper and far worse than what he had previously Mm -hmm. um and then when he comes out as you said uh you could see that it didn't work Uh, and i i don't know i don't know in his mind that might be the first time it didn't work 
which is also powerful like yeah like why why do i still feel this way like he pulls his like his head comes out and he like gasps like he goes right back in like this isn't working like yeah yeah all oh, the uh the habitual behavior with the going past this um this body of water and cleansing himself is a common thing for people with high stress jobs they find something um they find something steady and habit and that they, they can do habitually so for for other people it's meditating or reading or making some sort of uh sacrifice each day to to sit down and calm themselves um so i get this was his version of that mm-hmm. he's gonna stop he's gonna say i'm cleansing myself of this i'm leaving this behind i'm not gonna let this affect me anymore and moving exactly on. exactly Um, compared to, compared to the last film we kind of met and discussed about, uh, you guys like this one more, you might get let, you like it less, do you think it's just kind of a little too different to compare to each other? Sorry, compared to The Warden? Or yeah, the other one. the last one, or just, yeah. Um, out of the three films we've discussed, I would rank Sun Children as my favorite. And I'd say this is my second favorite before The Warden. I think this one was just a lot more engaging than The Warden. The Warden oh, felt yeah, a definitely. little too slow for me and uneventful. Uh, I I probably agree with you. I don't know. I might put this one first just because, I don't know. I don't really like the narrative of Sun Children too much. And this was, I felt this was more engaging. But I definitely put them both above The Warden. Um, okay, so uh, what questions do you guys have in mind to ask at the press conference um, in a few minutes? Anything specific? Well, I would certainly ask what other films or directors inspired the creation of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just kind of, uh, I'd probably ask for like, I mean, I'm sure you can kind of understand and take away your own like underlying idea of the film, but what what the director's goal was, what he was really trying to portray, like as an underlying tone between all four stories. Yep. I think I would ask him his motivation behind um, displaying the corruptness and the, the power uh power vacuum that is the Iranian uh, government and military service system. Like what brought him to, to display this, um, to show it in a movie. Yeah. Overall, I, I definitely enjoyed the film, especially with the changing in the stories. It keeps you really focused. And each time you feel like you just get to start a new chapter and enjoy a new piece. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. All right. Is uh, yeah. Uh, if anyone, if nobody has any more thoughts, I think we're gonna wrap this up. Everybody good? I think I'm all good. Me as well. Okay. Well, thank everybody. Thank you, our listeners, for listening. Uh, have a great day. Enjoy the uh, the upcoming press conference.
Thank you. Thank you, Frost.